You may, you may be seated, and if you have your Bible, would you do me a favor, open it up to the book of Philippians. We're going to continue our series called Joy and Pain, walking through God's letter through the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, and I'm going to continue reading today in Philippians chapter 4. If you're new to church, you're just visiting today, you should understand what something I say almost every week, which is um, we are an expository teaching church. We believe in teaching through the Bible, book by book, section by section, and that means that we don't pick our messages based on the holiday or based on current events. <laughs> I don't know if you've been watching the news, but there's plenty of fodder, and, um, and I, I, I don't envy the pastor who feels it his call to preach on this week's current events, Amen. We stay here, in line. And part of that means that we come to holidays like this, that it might make sense that we would have a, a special message just for moms. I've done that before. We've done that before. And when God calls for it, he always blesses it. But this spring, we've been walking through Philippians, and we have discovered that everything that we needed to hear on Easter and today is perfectly set in the text for that day. I'm going to read to you from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. It reads like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The title of our message today is, Think About This. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. And we ask God that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive afresh from you that we might not just hear or see or learn but that we might be moved to action to practice these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Our big idea today uh, for this message, as is uh, the custom with each one of our messages in this series, is have one big thought that I'm hoping that you'll leave with today, that you'll be able to ponder and perhaps even take action on. And today's big idea is this. You are called to be different absolutely called to be different and, ready, to keep getting better in that difference, which is good news for some of us who feel awkward. Amen. You ever feel like you're in a room and you just don't fit? Are you in here right now? It's not uncommon for those of us who are called by Christ, who are in Christ, to find ourselves in rooms and just feel like, man, this is not my room. That should encourage you, actually. It should remind you that you are a citizen of heaven, a child of God, an ambassador of the kingdom, 
and that some rooms are just not made for you. You are made for that room, to transform that room, to influence that room, to set the tone in that room, not to let the temperature affect you, but for you to turn it up. And you should get better at that every single day. So I was preparing for this message and, um, and a little bit nervous that perhaps I'd have like one of those mean repent messages on Mother's Day. <laughs> Bring your mom to church. Your pastor's going to yell at him. I was like, oh, Lord, give us something sweet. And as I read through the text, I was like, oh, you're so good. Woo. But as I was preparing, I was, I, was, I was just remarking at the way that the apostle is so gentle in this section of his teaching. In his letter, what he's going to do in this moment what he does for the church in Philippi and what he'll be walking us through in the, the next several moments is, is a call to be different, what it looks like to be different, what it looks like to have the kind of character of a Christian that does appear to be set apart. It's a high standard, no doubt. And then the apostle kind of turns it and says, and um, just so you know, when you struggle with this, here's how to get back to the basics. It's so sweet it reminds me of the way that a mother might communicate with a child. I, I'm, I'm a dad, and I'm a dad of boys. I'm a boy dad, and I love my boys. I love being a dad of boys. I love we're mean and rough, and, you know, at any given moment, one of us will punch each other. Amen. In love. And as a dad, I only know how to be a dad. I only know what it's like to be, you know, masculine in my leadership. And I celebrate masculine leadership as a church. We, we seek to ordain and raise masculine leadership. I believe that if God is a father, we should be raising up good fathers. Amen. One of the faults about good fathers, not our father, but, but us fathers, is that we dads don't have a lot of perspective sometimes. Wives, you'll resonate with this. Sometimes you are having a rough day and you'll come home to your husband and you just want to kind of get it out. And he's ready to fix it now. You've been there before? You're just talking and he's like, all right, so babe, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> and what do you say? You're like, I'm not trying to fix it. I just wanted you to hear me. And husbands are like, I heard you. Let's go. <laughs> we men are just... We, we tend to be sort of like, you know, did it work? No. We'll do it again. Men are the kind of guys who kind of like stick a round peg in a square hole until the hole breaks, right? But moms, wives, women, well, I think God's uniquely made them so that they can have perspective. Consider the times that you've sat down with a woman of influence in your life with a problem in your life, and she hasn't told you, well, did you do it harder? She's never said that. But she may have said, well, have you, have you thought about this? Have you considered something else? I know that for me, my wife, my mother, and the women of influence in my life have always done this wonderful thing of helping me to connect head to heart to moment. What am I missing about what I'm dealing with right now? Sometimes some of the most sage advice that you might receive from a woman of influence starts off in a metaphor or in the form of a story. 
And if you're like me, you start to ask yourself, where is this going, right? And they have an uncanny knack of sort of walking you back to an aha moment that helps you perceive your struggle differently. And I actually think that is exactly what the Lord is trying to do through the Apostle Paul here. He's setting a very high standard for Christian conduct and then saying, it's going to get hard. And when it gets hard, have you considered this? Have you thought about this? Let's go through the standard first, and then we'll talk about how we can think about things should we struggle. First things first, I want you to understand that in verses 4 through 7, the apostle, because he's getting to the very end of his letter, wants to remind these believers in the church in Philippi of the constant character of Christians. These are the hallmarks of you, if you be in Christ Jesus. These are the things that should set you apart, make you different, that people behind your back should remark that make you you. The unique part about this is there's a reward in this high standard for living, high standard for conduct. In fact, it's a reward that remedies the conversation that we had last week. Do you remember last week we talked about disunity in the body? The apostle is writing to a church that has two women, remember that, who are in disagreement, and he calls them out by name. Thank you, Jesus, for grace, right? And he talks about the fact that without the resolution of this conflict, there will be difficulty within the church. There will be a lack of peace. Remember, we talked last week that the Holy Spirit, when identified by God the Father, is identified as a dove, the dove, the animal of peace. Peace is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And when we're a body of believers or a marriage or a family where we're marked more by chaos, well, we're essentially marked by saying, Holy Spirit, you don't belong here. And as a remedy for that, after Paul sort of pokes the church in the chest, he says, now here's the good part. There is a way to invite the peace of God into this family, into your life, and into everything that you walk through. It's the way you live. He says this in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case you missed it, again, I say rejoice. Yeah. Isn't that good for some of us? Because you ever have somebody and they're like, good morning. And you're like, uh-huh. <laughs> and if you're at Beacon, they're like, I said good morning. He said rejoice in the Lord always. And again, in case you missed it, I said rejoice. He says this part, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And don't you be anxious about a single thing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. What he's doing right now in this moment in verses 4, 5, and 6 is giving us a roadmap to welcome in and walk within the peace of God. First things first. You ready? Rejoice. All right. Show hands. Who just plain rejoices always? Nobody, not one of you, sinners. <laughs> Read the text. If the Bible is the inspired and inerrant word of God, meaning his words through his chosen messengers, then when a text says rejoice always, it is non-negotiable. What God says to you in the midst of, of whatever you're going through right now is, guess what? You better rejoice. 
You better shout. You've got something to celebrate. And you say, uh, no, I don't. You say, Pastor, no, I, I really don't. My life is it's hard. My marriage is in shambles right now. We're hanging on by a thread. I am up to my neck raising my kids and juggling my career to the best of my ability. And if I'm being honest, it's not working. I'm over my head in debt. I mean, I, I didn't realize what it was going to do to me. But every time I get paid, it's gone. I'm in the red. I'm taking payday loans out. I mean, I'm in real trouble. And I don't even know how to file for bankruptcy, Pastor. There is nothing worth celebrating in my life. And when you tell me I'm supposed to jump up and down, well, i got to be honest with you. That sounds kind of foolish. Have you ever been there? I have. The challenge for us as believers is to understand joy in the way in which the Lord means joy. You see, when we hear the word joy, we think of it in the definition that the world describes it, which is similar or synonymous with happiness, meaning it's how I feel. And happiness is a feeling generated by the happenings. The world's definition of joy or happiness is all about this. Is everything working for me? Then I can feel good. It's an outside in. You see where we're going here. But the Bible doesn't talk about happiness, doesn't talk about happenings. The Bible talks about joy unspeakable, joy even in mourning, joy in the morning, joy for every season, joy like a spring that bubbles up. Joy, according to God, has nothing to do with the way you feel and everything to do with what you no. You see, when Paul writes to this church and says rejoice in everything, he's not naive to their struggle. He planted this church. He knew these folks. This is the town they ran him out of. They tried to kill him here. So when Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he's like, <laughs> you guys, where you live is crazy and terrible. Your life is really rough. Rejoice anyways. He says, I know that your season is difficult. I know that you're in a place right now where it doesn't look like it's going to work out in your favor. But I came here today to tell you that there is a God who works things out for your favor. And even if the whole circumstance around you looks bad, he's good. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I don't have to feel good to start speaking good. And if you know anybody who's filled with the Holy Spirit and lives like this, then you know that they have the secret, which is especially when I don't feel good. That's the time I start speaking good because eventually my thoughts follow my words. My heart follows my thoughts. And then I start changing everything in my circumstance because I trusted him at my heart for his word. You ever meet one of those Christians? <laughs> And you're like, how you doing? And they're like, I got fired, but God's so good. And you're like, these people are crazy. I am leaving this church. No, you want to be around people like that. They seem a little off. Good. 
you want to be with people whose mind is a little bit higher than the circumstance around them. I don't want to be only friends with people who are moved by every single thing that happens to them. I want to be moved by people who make things happen. Paul says there's always something to celebrate. I don't care what you got going on right now. You got fired? Good. There's a better job on the way. Right? She dumped you? Good. She wasn't right for you anyway. And we all told you. No, we didn't say it. We were in small group praying for you. Lord, get that girl out of his life. You laugh because we've been praying. Something always good to celebrate. Joy. It's an inside out. Not an outside in. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Ready? Second thing he says is, and let your reasonableness be known to all. What's reasonableness? Reasonableness in this context is your peaceable nature. I don't think there is ever a more applicable time to share this kind of message, especially to Christians. In this country, you know this. We have become incredibly polarized. And the people who are in the red outfits and the people who are in the blue outfits and the ones that are libertarian that hate both of them, everybody just mean all the time. And I meet a lot of Christians who are Christian second and political party first. And you know how I know it is because we've gotten into some conversations. You know how you get caught up in one of them fruitless conversations? And then I've been hurt. My feelings have been hurt. And they've been like, but pastor, you know, one day we might come to your church. And I'm like, how come? Oh, we're Christian. You are? No, you're not. <laughs> Paul is writing to his church and he's saying, this world is actually designed to provoke you. And I want you to right now consider what area of your life constantly, continually provokes you. That is a specific territory that the enemy is trying to use to derail you so that you don't get to answer the first part of verse 4, which says rejoice in the Lord when... Always. So the enemy's like, good, well, I'm going to let the Supreme Court leak a document this week, and I want you to be good and mad about it, so you better scroll through your social media, and you better find somebody who disagrees with you, and you better put them in their place. And you're like, I'm on it. <laughs> and you work on assignment, and you get frustrated, and all of a sudden, you're not marked by reasonableness, by, but by irrational whatever. And I'm not saying which side is right, though in this church, we absolutely believe in the sanctity of life. Amen? Yes. Amen. But I'm telling you, if you believe in the sanctity of life and you're mean as a hornet, you're still dead wrong. You're dead wrong. Amen? If when people meet you and you say you're Christian, but the way you speak is in such vitriol, such anger, such... Well, then what would make them want to know Christ? Amen? 
Paul says, let your reasonableness be known. That means that you can be in any environment provoked by any person, pushed on any button, and still be ready? Nice. Yes, sir. Can you be nice? Yes, sir. That deserves a clap, amen? Can you? Can you be nice? It is important, please don't miss it, to be nice. Teach your kids manners, amen? Yes. Being nice is vital to the sharing of the gospel. Lots of people know that Jesus died for their sins. They just hate all the people who said yes to that. Amen? So we should change that. Because Paul's been calling for that ever since we started this thing. Number one, he says, you better be celebrating because God done did a thing already and everything is good. We, ready, win. We already won. Bible says you're more than a conqueror, so no matter how much you feel like you're losing right now, you've still got something to jump around and celebrate for. And he says, and because that's the joy and the position from which you operate, you don't need to be fighting anymore. If you already won the battle, why do you still have your gloves on? And why are you beating up on people when you should be putting your boot on top of the enemy's head? Amen. He says, be joyful. Be reasonable. Oh, and then here's the one. And in all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. The most important conversation that you can have is a vertical conversation. How many of you are here in the room and you're a verbal processor? You like to talk things out. Amen. I got any verbal processors? Okay. <laughs> Amen. And you, if you're like me, because I'm a verbal processor, pray for Chanel. <laughs> I, I don't care what you're doing. If you're near me, it's time for me to talk. <laughs> and I just, uh, <laughs> over the last two weeks, my poor wife has just been so gentle with me. And I'm just talking and talking and frustrated and talking. And then I don't know about this one. What do you think? Sometimes I do it just because I kind of need to, you know, if you're a verbal processor, just getting it out kind of helps you lay it out, right? But my wife can't solve my problems. She can support me in my problems. But if I'm only verbal, verbally processing with peers, then I'm, I'm really not doing anything of value with my words. You see, there's only one person who can solve the things that you're going through right now. His name is Jesus, right? And here's the best part. <laughs> He's eagerly awaiting your call. Like, I've done this before, and I think it's a picture worth sharing as many times as possible. Most of us think that prayer in our relationship with God is like that movie with Jim Carrey when he plays God. And all of the email prayers come in. And he gets a little overwhelmed, and so he just answers yes to all of them. You and I oftentimes think that, you know, everybody's praying, and he's a big God, and he probably doesn't even want to hear from, from me. But, but, but I want you to see what it looks like when you pray. The Bible tells us that God the Father sits on the throne. Amen? 
And at his right hand is Jesus the Son. Emmanuel, God with us. You see, he's walked the roads you've walked and fought the fights you've fought. He's cried the same tears and worried the same fears. He has experienced all there is to experience in the human experience, and yet he is without blemish. And he returned to his rightful place in glory after taking the burden of sin for you and defeating death for you so that you might have eternal life with him. And he stands at the right hand of the Father in a continual posture of intercession for you. So when you cry out to the Lord, he says, we know this one. And sometimes people think that Jesus is, is you know, like kind of stately. <laughs> I mean, you know, God is stately. Stately. But Jesus got dirty. I mean, didn't Jesus play in the mud? When a man came to him blind, he... <laughs> When it was the night before he accomplished his mission, he was on his knees crying in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says that he cried tears of blood. You see, Jesus isn't so much stately as much as he's just plain messy for you. That's why his name is God with us, Emmanuel. It means my God lives with me. And so when you pray, even though you think he ain't listening, this is the picture. Jesus is leaning over the edge of heaven, reaching down. Come on, pray to us. Come on, speak to us. I'm talking to the Father. I've got his ear. If you would just talk, if you would just speak, I can't come down there anymore. But my word is there. My Holy Spirit is there. Would you speak? And when you speak, he says, Father, listen. This is the one with whom I've walked with and died for. Let's answer this prayer. Do you think he's not listening? All he's ever been doing is listening. The problem is you haven't been speaking. So you verbally process with peers and wonder why things don't get better. And I'm telling you, prayer is less about what you say and all about who you say it to. Oh, man, most of us are so good at talking. We just ain't talking in the right direction. Right? That's why sometimes you, you have to apologize for complaining. You're like, I'm sorry for complaining. You know who you never have to apologize to complain? Jesus. This is terrible. He's like, I know. <laughs> We're working on it. Don't worry. You need to mature a little bit. It's going to take about six months. But I'm glad we're talking. Paul says, the constant character of a Christian is someone who is marked by the joy that they have from the inside out, I know that we've won. And so no matter what, I'm going to celebrate. Also marked by the way in which they care and are kind and calm and live peaceable, even when others don't. And you can do this if you're a person of prayer. I'm going to work it backwards for you. Ready? If you don't pray, you won't have perspective regarding the people who provoke you. Amen? See, if you don't have the right conversation, then every wrong conversation carries the same weight. And so if you don't pray and they provoke you, 
then you never have anything to celebrate. Amen. Paul says this is the constant characteristics of a Christian. And it, it starts with prayer. And the good part is that if you pray and you're peaceable and you can celebrate, well, then the Bible says right here, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. He says if you live like this, then God puts his peace on you so you can better live like this. Isn't that good? You're not fighting this battle yourself. You're in it with him. Now, here's the thing. As I share this part, you should be moved and concerned about where you fall short. You should be like, I am not happy like that. And I don't even know how to pray. Paul might say to us in this moment, don't worry. Everybody else is struggling with the same thing. Did you know right now, even though the enemy tells you that everybody in this room is a phenomenal prayer who has the ear of the Lord and you're the only one who doesn't get it, the person right next to you feels the exact same way? That's why when you're in a prayer circle and someone else prays, you're like, that was so amazing. Why can't I ever do it? And then you do it and they're like, that was so amazing. <laughs> we all struggle. We all sin. We all fall short. And so when Paul sets this high standard for joy, for peace, and for prayer, he says, and you probably will mess it up. And if you do, just go back to the start. He transitions this conversation in verse 8 to what I might call a persistent pursuit of the pious. See, if we first talk about the constant characteristic of Christians, then when you fall short, you should get back on the pursuit of going back to the one who gives you the power to do what he's called you to do. Paul might say it like this. You're going to fail in being joyful. <laughs> You're going to be so rude sometimes. You're going to mess up when it's time to pray. And every once in a while, you won't be marked by your reasonableness. And when you do, think about this. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, that's where you start. Now, you might think that this is a list of virtues to add to the list of virtues that you're supposed to live out. But the apostle here is, he's painting a scriptural picture of the one whom we call Jesus. See, each one of these is a marker of the character of our king. He says, um, and just so you know, you cannot live like he's called you to live unless he lives inside of you. And so when you fall and you will, have you considered him? Have you thought about what's true? The Bible says that Jesus is the living word. Psalm 19 tells us that his word is true. Whatever is honorable, honorable, the Bible might suggest for us that honor is due to those with all power and authority. And Jesus was given all power, for in him and through him were all things made. 
The Bible encourages us to think about things that are just. And we understand that justice and righteousness are the foundation of his throne. The Bible tells us to think about things that are pure, the righteous, and the holy. Jesus himself referred to himself as the son of man. His preferred name for himself comes from Daniel, and it means the holy one. Paul says, if you consider it, if you fall down to, to think about whatever is lovely, Peter writes that he's altogether lovely. And he writes this after he was at the Mount of the Transfiguration when Jesus became who he really was in glory in front of Peter. Peter knows lovely. Paul says, if you fall down, have you thought about things that are commendable, above reproach, like a spotless lamb? Jesus lived a perfect life, worthy of all commendation. Paul says, if you thought about the things that are excellent, he's altogether excellent. Paul says, if you thought about things that are praiseworthy, he is the only one who will sit at the right hand of the Father and the only one worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. Believer, I want to tell you that you're called to live differently. And you will struggle because of it. And when you do, have you thought about Jesus? Wow. It seems almost overly simple, doesn't it? You mean to tell me if I just ponder on Jesus, I can act right? Ready? Yeah. It's not like, it's not complicated. If you would but for a moment step outside your circumstance, dive into scripture and begin to think about the goodness of our God who unlike all gods gave us himself in human form to take on the weight of humanity. See, you don't understand just how far the fall was from perfection and glory into the place where he bore the brunt of all sin. Our God can never be in the presence of sin, and yet our God took the, the initiative to carry all sin. And if you can meditate on that for a moment, when someone cuts you off in traffic, you can be like, have a nice day, straight up. And these are the kind of things that we need. See, you, you, you can't just come to this church and be inspired, be encouraged, or like sometimes be offended and cry on the same day. And then do nothing different in your everyday life. You see, if you have a beacon sticker on your car, but you're always on the highway telling everybody they're number one with a different finger, well, then we're in real trouble. Right? You need to know how to answer the call to live differently. And the way is, like your mom might say, have you, have you, thought, about, have you thought about this? Have you thought about Jesus? 
These characteristics that we list here in verse 8, these are perfect markers of our king. And they lead us to a question that I think we have to ask ourselves in verse 9, which is, um, what if I'm not good at this? Like, how many of you, myself included, really have to psych yourself up to be a sweetheart some days? Do you do it? So in church, you should know, right, the, the fruit of the Spirit at Beacon is joy. We want to be known for being a church that is joyful, that is fun, that you feel welcome and that we smile. And, and, and that's really easy for Chanel, my wife. She's just like that. She's gregarious. She's an extrovert. She gains all of her energy from being around people. She loves to laugh. She loves to giggle. giggle. It's always fun with her, right? And it drives me crazy <laughs> because I'm an introvert by nature and kind of quiet and relatively cranky. <laughs> but I don't get to be that way at church. Amen? Ever. Ever. <laughs> she drives me crazy. You don't get to, to be like that as a believer. You don't get to say to people that you've offended, that's just the way that I am. No, 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 that's just the way that you were. But see, if anybody be in Christ, he'd be a new creation. The old things have passed. Behold, all things are become new. And so you should be getting better at living differently. Practice makes better, doesn't it? You've heard the phrase, right? Practice makes perfect. No, it doesn't. Because <laughs> if you practice the wrong thing, you get worse. Practice makes better. Perfect practice makes perfect. Whenever you're learning an instrument, your teacher should have taught you, we don't practice it until we get it right. We practice it until we can't get it wrong. That is the walk of faith. Just because you showed up one day to work and were nice to that person on the other side of the cubicle, you don't get to go home and be like, we did it, Jesus. We did it. We did it. I'm done. No, you get to go back tomorrow and exhibit and embody the same joy. And practice the same reasonableness. And pray the same prayers so that you get better and better. Verse 9, he says it like this. Paul says, what you have learned and what you've received and what you've heard and what you've seen. And he says in me, but I might say here today, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. In another section of text, he says, do not just be hearers of the word. Be doers of the word. I might challenge you, church, what good is it for you to come if you don't become something new? Every week you should hear something from this word that makes you upset because you are not doing it well. And it should drive you to say, I'm not doing it well, Jesus. Help me. The picture that the apostle tries to write to close this part of this call, this think about this message, is essentially he is saying, what you learn, put into practice. When? Now. A lot of us do this. We come to church and we're like, that's so good. Pastor Rob was talking about giving. And I'm like, oh, man, I feel you. Like, I used to like, not give. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm like, I'm so with you. I'm so glad you're giving. And I'm going to give next year. And I'm super stoked about the wave and sharing about giving. And I will. 
And we make a joke about giving, but it's true about most of us in almost any area of sin in our life. We get, we get informed about God's standard, and we're like, cool, I'll make a note. I'll get there. And Paul says, what you've seen and what you've heard, put it into practice now. Oh, for the days are short and the wages of sin are death. And if you get stuck in that sin with a plan for tomorrow and tomorrow doesn't come, then you have to stand before the same grace and the same throne that we've been talking about. And he will say, why? We sent you a messenger. We explained it to you. We gave you ample opportunity to fall on your face and repent. And you said, what? It was, I, w- I was going to do it later. Paul says, I want you to put this stuff into practice right now. He, he might say it simply like this, be teachable. Like be a learner and a doer and put things into practice. And, and, and if you're a doer and you lose your way, the best way to find it is to also be a seeker. You see, hearers and doers aren't one versus the other. They're the same person. You should be one who comes to church, who fellowships in small group, who's on a service team and lets people of faith speak into your life that you might come to a better understanding and a better revelation of who he is and that you might put it into practice. And when you fall, you might go back to seek him again. Meaning if you sin this week, come back to church next week. I don't care if you fell down and neither does he. He cares that you stand back up for the righteous man falls seven times. It's good news for some of us who keep falling down. I want to tell you, stop staying down. Put it into practice. And when you fail, consider Jesus. Last thing I leave you with is this. It's meant to be a cycle. It's meant to be repeated. Practice what you've learned. And the Bible says at the end of verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice what you hear, and it will invite his presence. And when you fall, his presence empowers you to practice. So when you practice, you invite his presence. And when you fall, his power improves your practice. You see, here's the beauty is that you can't live this life all by yourself. No one is good. No, not one. But he is perfect. And he's attracted to those who practice. So when you fall and you'll fail, you can come up. Recognize this. You just have to think about something new to get your mind in the right place to do the right thing. Amen? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about Jesus today? And tomorrow when you make a mistake, will you get a chance to think about him one more time? Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we thank you so much. What an amazing opportunity it is for us to be called by your name. (laughs) Us, us flawed, failed, fractured people who who left to our own devices would be marked by sin. And yet for some reason, in your great wisdom and your sovereignty, you picked us, you called us that you might make us your workmanship. 
God, if I'm being honest, it feels like a heavy burden to bear, and I just don't think I can do it. But I know that you can. And so, Father, today, for those of us who hear the high standard and feel like we've fallen short, I ask that you place a new foundation under our feet, that we might stand tall in our calling. Help us to think of you pure, holy, excellent, lovely, just, commendable, true. Help us to stand on those words and live from that posture. In Jesus' name, amen.